Hello, and welcome to our podcast here at Discovery Point Church. Thank you for joining us today. We pray this message inspires you and is the beginning of a life-changing relationship with Jesus. Enjoy the message. Timely questions. Some of the, one of the questions we got is God sovereign. The answer is yes, so we can go home now, see. <laughs> but we're going to talk about why that is so. The sovereignty of God. Sovereign, having supreme rank, power of, or authority, the greatest in degree, being above all others. That's the definition of, partial definition of sovereign. They had a lot more to say, I didn't take it. <clears throat> Mostly I talked about uh, kings and royalty and that they're sovereign. And, and maybe I should have, but, you know, with all this change that's going on over in Great Britain, and to be a little hard to call him King George, King George III got hit with the reality, and he made a statement today. He had talked about his mother and all that she had done and how she did that. May he continue on as king. But then he said this, it hit me that I am the sovereign monarch of Great Britain. And I thought, oh, there's that word, <laughs> sovereign. But there's something about the sovereignty of God that's far superior than the sovereignty of any human being. He is the sovereign in Great Britain. But there is a sovereign greater than that king. That's why he's called the king of kings and the lord of lords. For he is the only sovereign. The best definition I find for sovereignty well, I'm, I'm going all over the place tonight for a little bit. So, First Chronicles 29.11 has this to say. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, and the glory, the victory, and the majesty. For all that is in heaven and in earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom of O, o Lord, and you are exalted as head over all. That's a perfect definition of sovereignty. See, to say that God is sovereign is to assert that God is God. For there is none other. Daniel 4.34, the second half of the verse, B, says, For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. <clears throat> now, in Daniel, Daniel didn't write this. King Nebuchadnezzar wrote this. You see, it all went to his head. He was the majesty over Babylon. 
Look what I've accomplished. Look what I've done. And he gave no glory to God at all. And we see it in the stories of Daniel going to the lion's den and Meshach and Abednego, them going into the fiery furnace, all of these things. But he wrote this after God dealt with him. Daniel went to him and gave him a vision of what he was going to happen because he was having these dreams and he interpreted it for him. But instead of repenting, he did not. And it says for seven years that you're going to crawl on, like an animal. Your fingernails and toenails will be like bird's claws. Your hair hairy, and you're going to eat grass like an oxen. And he was out of his mind for seven years, till that time period was complete. And God gave him back his mind, and what comes out of his mouth? For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. Verse 35 says, all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. He does according to his will in the army of heaven. And among the inhabitants of the earth, no one can resist his hand or say to him, what have you done? That's an amazing transformation, isn't it? Huh? Only took seven years of crawling around like an animal to get it figured out. But that's amazing. Talking about the sovereignty of God, he came to realize who was really in control. To say that God is sovereign is to declare that he is the almighty and the owner of all power in heaven and earth. There's none other. Psalms 115.3 says this, But our God is in heaven, and he does Whatever he pleases. Now, there's some scriptures I'm going to hit tonight. It's a little hard to, you, know, you look at that and you say, oh, you know, some may say amen, and others may say, oh, my. But we have to realize who's in control. He is the sovereign, it is his. He spoke all of this into existence. Do you know that you and I are a part of his eternal plan? And it isn't just by chance that you came to know him. You were chosen before the foundation of the world. That's hard to wrap your arms around that kind of stuff, isn't it? So when we say that God is sovereign, we recognize his right to rule the universe just as he pleases. And we have to. Proverbs 16.4 says this, along the same lines, The Lord has made all for himself, yes, even the wicked for the day of doom. That's hard to understand that, isn't it? But we don't have to understand it. It's not ours to understand. It's ours to trust and know that God is in total control. And he has put everything in his proper order and place. 2 Timothy 2.19 says, nevertheless, the solid foundation 
of God stands, having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. That's amazing, isn't it? Next slide, please. But in a great house, there are not only vessels, as Paul's writing this to Timothy, a young pastor, not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. That's hard to understand, isn't it? But everything has been created for the glory of God. You see, the sovereignty of God, the sovereignty of the God of the Bible is absolute, irresistible, and infinite. We're going to go to Romans chapter 9. I'm taking this, this verse out of order, and then I'm, I'm going to put it back in order. But Romans 9.21 says this, what he's talking about, because of what it said to Timothy. Here Paul is writing to the Romans and saying the same thing. Does not the potter have the power over the clay? And from the same lump to make one vessel for honor and another for dishonor. And the answer to that question is Yes. If you want to see a, a fuller picture of this, go read sometime, not right now, but go read Jeremiah 18. It talks about the potter and the clay and all these things. God is sovereign in the exercise of his mercy. We're going to go a little harder, okay? Romans 9, 14 through 23. I'm going to start with verse 14. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? Certainly not. Now, hold on right there. I'm not going to go. Take it back and hold it 14. I'm going to jump back to verse 11 and fill it in, Okay. Romans 9.11 has this to say. And it says this, For the children not yet born, nor having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him who calls. Just like he's chosen us before the foundation of the world, here we're looking at two brothers, Jacob and Esau, not even born yet. And it was said to her, the older shall serve the younger. We know that whole story. I'm not going to get into that. There's a beautiful story and picture of what God, because it should have been Esau. But God's plan and order with Jacob. And then he says this, here's the kicker. As it is written, 
Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. They're not even born yet. But does God, in his infinite mercy and understanding, can he make one for honor and one for dishonor? The answer to that is yes. You say, that don't seem fair. It's got nothing to do with fair. Think of it as going through the judge. Isn't he the judge of heaven? And there's scriptures we could go to do all that, but not going to tonight. Say they're guilty. They're both guilty. See, it isn't why, oh, well, Jacob was a better person, so he got to go. No. There's none righteous. No, not one. Not Jacob, not Esau, not you, not I. None of us. We didn't do this because he knew we were going to do something special. No. But does the judge have the right to hear the case and hear it bleed it out and on one show mercy and on the other one give them exactly what they deserve? That's what happened here. That's the storyline. And so now we're back to verse 14. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? Certainly not. The Bible's getting ahead of me. Certainly not. Verse 15. For he says to Moses, here's another example, for I'll have mercy on whomever I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whomever I will have compassion. Whoa. See, there was a time when Moses was, you know, he was called... And God was going to use him and speak through him. And there's a whole storyline of that. Moses was, he stuttered. He wasn't good at speaking. And really, he said to God, God, no, I can't be this person because I don't have a good way. I stuttered. He says, well, I made you that way. Can't I make you not stutter? But because of his brokenness, and because of his problems with all that, Aaron became the spokesperson. In Romans 9.16, this is what he says. Next slide, please. This is very important. When you want to mark anyone, now I'm, I'm reading out of the New King James Version. But here's what God has to say about all of this. So then it is not of him who wills. If you're going to undermark anything, mark wills. Nor of him who runs. In other words, there was a book. How many here know who R.C. Sproul is? Huh? Very good. He's at home to be with the Lord now. He wrote a book on that subject, Willing to Believe. And it's not the idea... It's the idea that you will yourself to believe. There's people that believe that. 
God says here, and there's other places we could go, but once is enough for me. Huh? Some people say, well, that's only in there once. That's all it has to be. It's not of him who wills. You did not will yourself to salvation. It's not possible that you could do that. Nor is it for him who runs. In other words, it's not because you're doing something. The only reason that you're here and you know the Lord and your life has been transformed and changed is because God showed mercy on you and I. He showed mercy. That shouldn't be at us puffing up while I'm special. Oh, gosh, that should drive us to our knees, church. Hmm? None of us deserve it. None of us. We're not capable. But he did it anyway, Greg. Put your arms around that one. He loved you anyway, and he showed mercy to you. I'm just sticking another scripture in here before we go to the next verse because I want to explain something here. It's found in John 6, 37. It's Jesus speaking. And he says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. That's a hallelujah moment, huh? But you say, well, it's not fair. Well, it doesn't have to be fair. Well, if you're here and you don't know the Lord, I had one, some, one conversation I had with a young man, and it went something like this. Well, that's not fair. I says, God doesn't have to be fair. He's, created, he's the creator of all things. And he chooses whom he chooses. Well, how come he didn't choose me? Well, let's bow your head and let's pray and let's accept, accept you, gave him the plan of salvation. Say, let's, oh, no, 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 no. Why so then maybe he hadn't chosen you? Huh? Got him thinking about something, though. Uh-huh. Romans 9, 17 talks about Pharaoh. For the scriptures say to the Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up that I may show my power in you, that my name may be declared in all the earth. And all that he did with Pharaoh, and all that was transpiring, and he sent Moses there to speak, and he, Moses, through Aaron, was the mouthpiece of God. And the more he'd say, the harder he got. Now he's saying, for this very purpose, I raised him up that I might show to everyone my power. Therefore, verse 18 says, he has mercy on whom he wills, and whom he wills, he hardens. Notice there's only two choices there. Mercy or being hardened. And God says, I'm going to show mercy on whomever I will show mercy. 
Does God have that right? Yes, he does. He's God. And whom he wills, he hardens. Verse 19 says this. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who has resisted his will? And that's a good question, isn't it? But indeed, O oh man, verse 20, you are, who are you to reply against God? Will the thing formed say to him who formed it, why have you made me like this? Now back, you don't have to go back there, but I'm going to read it from my notes. Go back to verse 21. It's putting it back in its place. Does not the potter have the power over the clay? Has anybody ever done clay work and trying to make a, I tried to make a bowl once and it didn't turn out so good. So that's not easy. But God uses that illustration that he's the potter. And we're the clay. Does he have the right to mold and shape our lives into what he'd have it to be? I'd say yes, he does. And there's been times in my life, there's been cracks in my life that God's done a makeover on me. And I say thank you, Lord. Verse 22 says, What if God, wanting to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long-suffering the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? Why? Verse 23 that he might make known the riches of his glory. That's supposed to be a small eye. I do that all the time. I didn't catch it. The riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he prepared beforehand for glory. Let that one sink in. The riches of his glory, is he's showing it on the vessels of mercy. That's you and I. What she prepared beforehand for glory. You see, the exercise of God's love is based on his own sovereign pleasure. Not because we don't like it. Who are we? Who are you to speak against God? Huh? The exercise of God's love is based on his own sovereign pleasures. We're going to go to Ephesians 1. I told you I was reading a lot tonight. 3 through 7. And it says this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. That's our anchor why, in Christ. And he's blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. That's where we're anchored. Do you realize that every one of us were created for a reason? God has a purpose for every last one of us. And he wants to use us to bring glory to his name. That's the job of the church. Verse 4 says this. Just as he chose us. You see, it wasn't because you willed it to be so. He chose us in Christ, in him, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Whoa, that's hard to think about that. Huh? That he chose us. He's called us. Verse 5, having predestined us to adoption. Do you realize that that's where, because of Christ and what he did at Calvary's cross and we are the chosen of God, not only has he been adopted, that we are, going, we are going, sons and daughters of God and Jesus one day is, just, is like going to be like our older brother. To the sons, adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself. And notice, say, so why would he do that? Oh, aren't you glad he did? Huh? See, if you're here and you know him, then remember, everyone that knows him, he said, in no, I will no wise cast them out. You're anchored in him. According to the pleasure of his will. Whew. Told you this would be a tough one. But it's important to know. We have these ideas, well, look at all I'm doing for the Lord. And look at all that. That's just crazy talk. Huh? It's not about that at all. He's chose us according to the good pleasure of his will. To the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. That word accepted can also be translated, we've been graced with grace. That's what we've been done. He, God graced us with something we didn't even deserve, his grace. We're accepted in the beloved. That's why Jesus, when he came and he died on Calvary's cross, and said, every one of you that the Father has given me, Father, I have not lost one. That's why he says, I am the omega. 
the Alpha and the Omega. I am the first and the last. It's all in Him, about Him. Oh, church, what we need to do is we need to learn to surrender our lives to Him and say, Lord, you've made me for divine purpose. Help me find that purpose you've called me for. Oh, could you imagine what church would be like if a church people could wake up to that reality and every one of them know what he created them for and begin to get busy? Huh? You'd see revival come. Huh? You'd see revival come. The last verse, and I'm going to close. It says, in him we have redemption. How? Through his blood. That's, that's what pays. What can wash away my sin? Say it a little louder. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Huh? The forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his, there it is, grace. Do you realize that God is sovereign in the exercise of his grace? He's in control. We wring our hands, we wonder why, that everything is the way, just trust him. He's bringing it all to conclusion one day. And in closing, I thought of this song that back in the day we used to sing in the church. I want you to hear what I'm going to say. I'm singing, it's a chorus of a song, I'm not going to sing it. I make a joyful noise unto the Lord. But here's what it says. I'm redeemed by love divine. Glory, glory, Christ is mine. All to him I now resign. I have been redeemed. Thank you so much for joining us on our podcast today. We pray you allow this message to transform you to take what you learned and share the love of Jesus to those around you. You can stay informed and connected by following Discovery Point Church on all social media platforms. Thank you and God bless you.